it's, it's already been some 20 years since Charles Schultz passed away, but the impact of his cartoons continues to live on. I've often wondered why that is. Uh, he has, has had a worldwide impact with some very, very simple characters. But uh, Schultz has been called a lover of losers because his uh, cartoons often portray great sadness. And, and it's part of his life. He has experienced great sadness, and so he naturally writes about it. Uh, he, he said that, I, I think I'm afraid to be happy because whenever I get too happy, uh, something bad always happens. Have you ever felt that? Felt that, boy, things are kind of going along too good right now. I think something drastic and terrible is, is, is right around the corner. There, there can be something inside us that anticipates this is, I don't deserve things to be going so good. I think things are going to be going badly for me. Uh, he... Uh, feeling that sadness himself and, uh, and, and feeling the sadness of life, it's not surprising that he wrote a, uh, a character in Charlie Brown that deals with great insecurity and sadness himself. Uh, at one point, uh, uh, Char- Charlie Brown said this, I think lunchtime is about the worst time of the day. Always having to sit here alone, Then he said, of course, sometimes mornings aren't so pleasant either. Waking up and wondering if anyone would really miss me if I never got out of bed. Then there's a night too, lying there and thinking about all the stupid things that I did during the day. And all of those hours in between when I was actually doing those stupid things in the day. And you get this picture of maybe something inside of Schultz's own life and how he sees life and and painting that through uh, the character of Charlie Brown. I, I, I can only think that there's something in Charlie Brown that we all relate to. We, we feel some of that sadness. We, we feel times where circumstances seem to be just too, too wrong, too tragic, too unfair. And it's... it's um, possible in those times to begin to think like Charlie Brown does or begin to think like Charles Schultz does that life is unfair and I think it's just going to keep getting more and more unfair. There's a character in the Bible that I think is, uh, I don't know if he's Charlie Brown, but he's, he started off in life circumstances that could have made him a Charlie Brown. He's someone who could have become Charlie Brown because he was born with great tragedy, really unfortunate, incredible difficulty. And yet his life is not held up as a sign of cynicism and negativity and what can uh, only be described as misfortune. But his life is held up as an example of hope of what can happen when somebody in tragic and difficult circumstances, by trusting in the goodness of God, what what that person can experience and what that person can expect. Uh, he, He has left us not only with a picture of his life, he's given us a picture of his prayer, and uh, we will uh, look at that prayer this morning. 
It's come to be known as the prayer of Jabez. I, I, I prefer to call it a prayer for the B team. A prayer for those people who, when we feel like we got left on the bench, never making the starting lineup. How do you pray in times like that? How do you pray when circumstances just seem to be always stacked against you? Things never seem to go in your favor. Well, I think he shows us that. And his story and the prayer that he's given us are found in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. I encourage you to turn there with me if you could. It's uh, in the Pew Bible in the rack in front of you. You can find it on page 313. The, the prayer of Jabez, uh, that title has become famous through uh, a book by a man named Bruce Wilkinson. Um, rightly or wrongly, this message will be about the Bible, not about Bruce. Uh, That may relieve some of you, it may disappoint others, but we're going to focus what we can know about this man and his prayer from the scriptures without any real reference to uh, the the, the, uh, not quite as famous uh, book, uh, The Prayer of Jabez by Bruce Wilkinson. Follow along as I read a prayer for the B team from 1 Chronicles 4, verses 9 and 10. Jabez was more honorable than his brother's. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. This is the word of God. Now, we only have these two verses about this man named Jabez, and yet they are filled with, uh, with hints of, of meaning, both about his life and about the way he approached God. It starts by telling us that Jabez was more honor, honorable than his brothers. There was something about his life that made him stand out, and, and um, I believe that we will see that when we look at his prayer and his faith and confidence in God. But in in telling us that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, the chronicler is probably also trying to tip us off to the fact that his brothers were less than honorable. He, he, there was something about them that they, they weren't on the same page as, as him, probably in faith and, and in their, uh, and their approach to life. So his, his brothers were less than honorable, and we picture him uh, growing up with them and, and uh, uh, feeling that tension. He reminds us of other famous biblical brothers who often faced tension, where the brothers weren't on the same page. We think of the first brothers, Cain and Abel. It didn't end well with, uh, with, with we had the first murder with, uh, with, with those two brothers. We think of Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob with Esau. Uh, we are reminded of Joseph with his brothers. And in each case, you had someone whom God had set apart, someone who, in whom God had laid on a burden to pursue him in prayer, and you had brothers who weren't on the same page, dragging them down. And so we get a picture of that from, uh, for, for, for Jabez as well. But even worse than the treatment of his brothers was the treatment of his mother. Verse 9 says, his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him him in pain. As soon as you see 
discussion of a birth and pain, we immediately go back to Genesis chapter 3 and say, well, yeah, that was part of the, the curse, that part of, of, of the consequences of Adam and Eve turning their back on God in the garden was that there would be pain in childbirth. But with Jabez's mother, it was something more than that. It was, it was an unusual pain. And we don't exactly know what that pain was. It, it could have been physical. It could have been a, a particularly uh, painful, a particularly dangerous even pregnancy. could have been physical. It, it could very well also have been emotional. Uh, she may very well have suffered abuse uh, and associated with the, with the pregnancy. Uh, she may have experienced abandonment uh, as part of the pregnancy. And all of those things, whether it was physical or emotional, we, we begin to feel a, a sense of compassion for her. We, our, our heart goes out to her in her circumstances, but then she crosses a line where she takes that pain, she takes the unfortunate circumstances of this birth of her son, and she puts it on him. She calls his name the pain. Jabez is, sounds like the Hebrew word for pain. And in calling him Jabez, she translates all of the pain, all of the misery she is feeling in this birth, and she puts it on her son, saying, you're the reason that I feel like this. This is your fault. This is, you, you are the cause of this, and you will forever be reminded of this. To, to hear words like that from your mother, that's, that's painful. But when those words get embedded in a name, that will be a forever reminder for Jabez. He will always, he will always every time he hears his name, it will not only be a reminder of his mother's deep uh, pain and, and rejection in his life, but that will be broadcast to everyone who ever knows him. The, the people that come into contact with him will know, boy, something happened in this, in this, at, at this boy's birth that his parents put a curse on him instead of a blessing. When, when you name a child, often a parent has hopes for the kind of future that they'll have, and they'll, they'll embody those hopes in a, in, in a name. As some of you know, my name is Paul. It's a Greek word that means shorty, and so presumably my, my parents were hoping that I would grow up to be a short little... Uh, I disappointed, but, but often a name... Uh, actually, I was named after Paul Anka, so probably they were hoping I would be a, a famous singer, and, and, and I ended up being a pastor and another disappointment, but... But, but a name communicates something of the blessing that a, child, a parent wants for their child. Except Jacob didn't get a blessing. He got a curse. And it would hang over him, so would, you would think, throughout his life. So there, there was the stress of his brothers, attention with them. There was this, this curse that his mother had given him. But then there's the father. We saw last week that it was common for the father to name the child. Although we look at the text here and it doesn't mention the father naming the child. Again, it's the mother that does that. We think, well, oh, where's the father? It's never mentioned, never shows up in any discussion of Jabez's life. That's extra unusual because if you read all of chapter 4, you'll realize this is a genealogy. It's a listing of fathers and their sons. 
Only you get to Jabez and there's no father. He's not on the scene. He's not around. We don't know why again. We don't have any details. He, he may have been killed in war. He may have abandoned his family and that may in fact be why his mother was feeling pain at the birth of this child. We don't know. But he's not on the scene. And that will make life vulnerable for Jabez and the family as they grow up and, and, and you feel all of these circumstances stacked against Jabez as he grows up. It would have been very easy in a setting like that for him to, to just feel like Charlie Brown, to, to feel like my life is bad and I think it's going to get worse. I, I, think, I think I'm under a curse or something. I think that my life is, is at the, uh, just heading in the wrong direction. And it could have been so easy for him to turn in the wrong direction, for him to turn to the wrong friends, to, the wrong, to, to, to look to the wrong crowd or the wrong things for relief from the pain. And yet he did something different. We're told that he prayed. And his prayer is held up for something for us to learn from when we are feeling like Charlie Brown, when we are feeling the curse of the B team, when circumstances have left us feeling like, why did that happen? And, and how do I go on? And, and, and what's the way forward? And it, it, does this mean that my future is cursed and that things will only get worse? Three things that I think we can learn from, uh, from his prayer. The first is that in prayer, we can trust in the promise of Abraham. In the midst of dark, discouraging, depressing, uh, curse-laden circumstances, Jabez chooses to lean into God and to believe in his promises. And we're encouraged that in prayer, we can trust in the promise of Abraham. We're, We're reminded that Jabez has brothers who have torn him down, a mother who has cursed him instead of blessing him, and a father who is not there when he would have wanted him. He could have isolated himself and become cynical. He could have given up and lost hope. But verse 10 says, Jacob called upon the God of Israel. He looked to God in prayer. His prayer is, isn't, as you'll see, all that deep or or. Prof- profound in terms of, boy, he used some really good phrases there. I got to write that down. It wasn't so much the, 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 uh, uh, that his, his prayer is complex, but it is still profound. He says, oh, that you would bless me. For a man who has experienced the kind of opposition and difficulty in life that he has faced, for him to lean into God, believe in his goodness, believe in his faithfulness, and say, God, bless me, would have required incredible faith, incredible hope. It would have been far more common for him to have gone Charlie Brown and just to say, hope for nothing and you won't be disappointed. When you read a prayer like this, you want to read it in context. For some of you, the blessing is something you say before you meal. Oh, who's going to say the blessing? For other people, the blessing is uh, just getting someone's approval. Oh, he gave me his blessing. For some of you, maybe blessing would be like a, a promotion or a new car. Oh, that, 
That was a real blessing. Hashtag blessed. But when you read the scriptures, instead of just reading yourself into the passage, you want to understand not only what, what, what it means to you, but what it means to them. Probably Jabez's understanding of this word blessing was not shaped by the latest uh, uh, high-tech gadgets, but it was shaped by a man named Abraham. He was probably the most famous person to have been and experienced the blessing of God. And there's a lot of parallels with Abraham and Jabez. Abraham was also born in painful circumstances, not so much the pain of the birth itself, but the life and the circumstances that he was born into. Abraham was born in a time when it was in the wake of the the curse of the Tower of Babel, the scattering of the people. It was a time when people had rebelled against God and come under under God's judgment for that, and they were scattered and uh, their language is confused. They experienced his wrath. Like Jabez, he would have felt the curse of sin and could have given in to the hopelessness that accompanies that. But God promised not only to bless him, but to make him a blessing. And his, as, as you look at that unfolding in the life of Abraham, you know that that didn't mean that everything always went his way and he got everything he wanted. It was not so much that, but that God had set this person apart for his blessing and his plan and his purposes. That God was going to work in his life for his protection and blessing and then work through his life to bring blessing to others. Abraham put his trust in that God and he did so in following him with great uncertainty. A lot of unknowns. A lot of things that he couldn't have anticipated, even things from God that he didn't fully understand. But even still, he decided to trust in God's goodness and his faithfulness and lay hold of his blessing in prayer. He believed that God would bless him even if if his mother had cursed him. He believed that God could lift him up even if his brothers had pulled him down. He believed that God would be faithful to him even if his father had left him. Jabez knew from the life of Abraham that seeking God's blessing would come with surprises, come with unknowns, but he leaned in and he trusted him. He followed him and he sought him for that. And his example is held up as an invitation for us to follow. And so we we look at this aspect of his life and you have to ask yourself, am I seeking the blessing of God in prayer? I I meet very few people who come up to me and say, Paul, I'm kind of against the blessing of God. I'm trying to avoid that. That that doesn't happen to me very much. I don't hear that very often. But the flip side, I don't often hear people who are seeking and pursuing God for his blessing. We can often just become complacent about it. It can often just be, too much work to seek God for his blessing. And so we just decide, I think I'm just going to go and work for my own blessing instead. I'm just going to do it myself. God helps those who help themselves, we tell ourselves. And so I'm just not going to, I'm going to do something more practical than praying. 
and yet we are called and invited to do something different than that, to pursue God, to seek him, to call upon him, to look to him and believe him and trust him, and, and in doing so, lay hold of that blessing that only he can give, to do, have him do in our lives what we could not possibly do of ourselves. Are you seeking the blessing of God? Jabez teaches us to seek and pursue that blessing. He also shows us how to take possession of our full inheritance in prayer. May have felt to Jabez like he was born on the B team. But he would not settle for God's second best. He pursued God believing that there was a spiritual inheritance that he could possess in prayer. And he wasn't going to let the circumstances of, of his life, the difficulties that he faced, and even the, the curse that he experienced, keep him from laying hold of it, keep him from seeking God for it. And so he, he seeks him. He seeks in prayer to take possession of his full inheritance. Now, Jabez's prayer could be easily misunderstood. In verse 10, it says that Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border. And in the same way that we could misunderstand this blessing part for, for like a bigger stock portfolio or, 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 or something like that, we could also misunderstand and misinterpret this enlarge my border for like, I need a renovation on my house. I need a, a, bigger, a bigger square footage. I, I need a larger property. That's probably not what's going on here. And, and, and verses like this are a good test case for how we read the scriptures. Because we desperately want to know, what does it mean to me? We read them, and so we want to ask, well, what does that mean to me? Oh, maybe I should pray for a bigger home. But before you ask the question, what does it mean to me? We ask the question, what does it mean to them? What, what did this mean back then? And then if I understand that, maybe I can understand what it means here and now. Well, to understand what it mean to, meant to them, what it meant back then, we need to place Jabez in history. Where, where, where did this guy come from? And the way that you do that is you read through this list of names in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, and you'll see that three verses after his name appears is another man that we can place. His name is Othniel. Othniel shows up, and, and maybe he's not a famous biblical character, but he is the first of the judges. And uh, those, those judges were those deliverers that God raised up in that period between when Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land and when they fully took that land under, uh, under the kings and with uh, Saul and then David. So we understand that Jabez is somewhere in that period. And there was a particular challenge that people faced in that particular period. God had led them into the promised land. They knew that, that God had given them this border, that they were to possess it. But after some initial victories, the people found that, hey, the people in the land, they don't seem to want to leave. They're kind of happy living there. And so when we move into to, to town to, to receive this inheritance from the Lord, guess what? The people kind of want to, send us out of town. They're, they're resisting us and they don't seem to want to let us in. And the big temptation at that time was to say, well, I know that God has promised this, but 
it seems awfully difficult. I think I'll just settle. Rather than possessing my inheritance, maybe if I've been promised this portion of land, well, the people there are kind of putting up a bit of a fight, so I'll just take a little corner here in the outskirts of town. It's just too much effort to do much else. And you and I can find ourselves doing the same thing with our spiritual inheritance. We'll take what we can get without any, any effort or work, but if there's any resistance, if there's any difficulty involved, that just seems like a little too much, and we back away. They were backing away already, even in Joshua's day, and so uh, he, uh, uh, Joshua said to the pe- people rebuking them in, in chapter 18, verse 3, he says, How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land? which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. He's telling them, God has promised this to you. He has given this to you, and you have stubbornly resisted. You have, have, in your cowardice, failed to go in, refused to go in and take possession of what God wants for you. And we can find, again, ourselves doing the same thing. With Israel, they had physical enemies, the Canaanites in the land. And they had a physical inheritance. They had been given the land. We get to the New Testament and it tells us that we have a spiritual inheritance. But we're also warned that we have spiritual enemies. There is spiritual resistance. God promises us a life of of joy and love and peace and patience and abundance. But Satan has come to kill and destroy He has come to undo the works of God and he will oppose them and resist them. And and so if we are only going to receive as much from God as uh, Satan is happy to not oppose or not get in the way of, what we can can receive without any effort or any challenge, we will find ourselves with very very small borders, a very small portion of the inheritance that God has promised us. And so Jabez's prayer for God to enlarge my border is this defiant battle cry. I will, trust you, I will trust you, God, for the full inheritance. I believe you for what you want to do in my life. I will lay hold of it even if there are enemies in the land, even if there is opposition and difficulty and obstacle. I will lay hold of this thing that you have laid hold of me for. The Apostle Paul lived with this. He, he lived in this enlarge my border battle for spiritual inheritance. In Philippians 3.12, he said, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He believed that there was more. You look at the Apostle Paul and you'll say, wow, how could you have such faith? How can you have such joy and difficulty? How can you have such peace where there is such danger. And yet he received that and said, God's got way more than this for me. I will lay hold of it. I will believe him for it. I will seek it in prayer. He didn't just pray that himself, though. He prayed that enlarge my border kind of prayer for the people that he ministered to. He believed that it was each of our 
calling as believers to lay hold of our full spiritual inheritance, but that that laying hold of it would happen in prayer, in the face of great opposition and difficulty. For instance, in Ephesians 1.18, he prayed, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He's praying that their eyes would be opened, that they would see how much God has purposed for them. He's praying that they would learn by faith to take possession, to seek what God had for them. He wanted them to lay hold of the fullness of that possession, knowing full well that they would be tempted as they were in Joshua's day to just settle, just take a little corner, not, not bother God for much, much else. To, to back off when there's any difficulty, when there's challenges, when there are, is opposition. Where do your borders need enlarging? Where is the curse of the B team, of those difficulties and misfortunes in life having kept you from believing in God's goodness and his generosity and his desire for you to enter into all that he has called you to? Maybe for some of you, you're still standing outside of the promised land. You you get up close and you hear about it. You like to listen to it. But you know in your heart you haven't fully taken a step inside. And and that may be because of something in your past. It may be because of, of, of something that's holding you back. It could be a fear of what it costs. But if you're honest with yourself and God, you know this thing that God talks about in his word is an inheritance that you have not stepped into. And the prayer of Jabez, maybe enlarge your border, is, is not even enlarge it, it's, it's help me to take a step into it. And as you consider that, don't let Satan th- have you think that this is a small and extracurricular thing. This is life and death. This is our eternity at stake. And so we, we, we pursue it with the recognition of that. We, we pursue God with the recognition. This is everything. Everything is on the line. So I will seek God as if everything is on the line. But maybe for others, it's, you've, you've, you've taken a step into the land. Like the people in Joshua's day, you've, you've gone in, but you're feeling what it's going to take to possess it. You, you see how broad the the area is that God has assigned to you. You know the the riches of that spiritual inheritance, but there's difficulties. Maybe, if we could be really honest, maybe there is sin that is standing in the way. You recognize that there are are some things that you were able to deal with pretty easily, but there's some things that are more complicated. It, it could be sexual sin. It could be a relationship. It, it, it could be financial sin. It, it could be bitterness or unforgiveness. I, I, I don't know what that is, but it's something in your life that if you'd identify, you know that's standing in the way of you stepping into the fullness of your spiritual inheritance. And it would be so easy to just take a step back and say, It's cramped, and I know that I haven't got much, but maybe people like me don't deserve much. 
it's just Charlie Brown and I got to settle. And the call of this passage and the invitation of this prayer is to recognize that, yeah, it's tough and there are challenges and it's, it's bigger than I thought, but I will not let Satan take my possession. I will not let sin take hold and take root in a place where I believe God has invited me to experience the fullness of his goodness to me. And so I pursue that in prayer. I pursue him in prayer. I ask him for the strength that only God could provide to give me this thing that he has promised to me. A life of abundance, life of holiness, a life of his fullness. We pray the prayer of a man named Jabez, bless me and enlarge my border. And when the enemy tells you, that's all like people like you get from God. As I'm sure the enemy said to Jabez time and time again, we reject that voice and say, the goodness of God it undoes that. The generosity of God stands in the face of that and I will lay hold of him. I will reject that voice of condemnation and I will believe God for something more, something different, something better. As we get off the bench and seek God for blessing and the fullness of our inheritance, it has to be with an awareness of the battle. So Jabez, Jabez teaches us that in prayer we seek God's protection from the curse of sin. If you're like Jabez, you may already have the battle scars. Frankly, you may have already felt the pain of discouragement and loss, and you're looking at some of the battle that you think God might be calling you and you say, I don't know if I want to take another hit. I, I'm, I might just be happier for a smaller inheritance. Maybe I'll just take a safer route. The tendency is to become gun shy. But in prayer, we're invited to seek God's protection from the curse of sin. As Jabez asks God to enlarge his border, he knows that there will be opposition. And so he prays against it. He prays with an awareness of it. In verse 10, it says that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm. He knows if he is going to move forward, he will move forward with the strength of God, with the authority of God, and only with the help of God. And so he pursues that in prayer. The word translated harm here is, is usually translated as evil, and that actually might be the sense here. It may be like the Lord's Prayer, deliver me from evil. He may be praying that. But it is certainly a prayer for spiritual protection. This is not just praying that God will help me not get a cold or that God won't let the data charges be raised on my cell phone. This is a prayer recognizing I am in a battle, and if I do not call upon God's help in the midst of that battle, I am in great danger. We already know that Jabez was named the pain, but the last part of his prayer in verse 10 is that it might not bring me pain. He knew that his life had started in pain. It, his life had begun causing pain, feeling or being at least told that he had caused pain. He had felt the curse of sin and its pain. But he prayed 
that he might step out of the freedom from that pain. He knew that his mother, in one sense, had written the first chapter of his life, but he believed that God could rewrite his ending. That God had the power to reverse that curse that his mother had placed upon him so that he could enter into a new trajectory, a new path, that he could enter into a different ending. We get to the end of that prayer and... Well, it says in verse 10, and God granted what he asked. Aren't you glad that he didn't come to this prayer and get to the end of it and God said, Jabez, you kind of overdid it. You kind of asked for a little too much there. Like, you're not really, you're not really kind of the, the guy to be asking for stuff like that. that you've, you've expected a little too much of me. No, I, it just comes with a word, and God granted him what he asked. God loves to answer this kind of prayer. Loves for someone who would have otherwise have been relegated to the B team to believe in God's power to bless, God's power to, to, to give the fullness of a spiritual inheritance to him. He, he loves to meet someone who is who could have been undone by all of his disadvantages and to believe that in the grace of God, he could enjoy all of God's advantages. He could enjoy all of God's fullness, all of God's goodness. If you've ever felt like your life was cursed, you need to know that the Bible teaches about that curse. It, it says that in one sense, this world is cursed because of sin. But it also teaches that Jesus came into this world to undo that, that curse and to reverse that curse. In the letter to the Galatians in chapter 3, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. When Jesus was was, was put upon that cross. He was cursed for sin. He bore the full weight of the consequences of sin and the pain of sin. But notice why he did, why he did that. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, by the way, are the outsiders. They're the B team so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus came to take our curse upon himself that we might get his blessing. He came to give up his place in the starting lineup so that we could get off the B team. We receive everything he, should have des he deserved because he took everything that we deserved. And he invites us to enter into that, to lay hold of that. And to continue to live your life like you are still on the B team, like you're still Charlie Brown, like you're still uh, a bench warmer, is to reject all that Christ did for you at the cross. All the love that he holds out, holds out to you today. And so I want to examine your I want to ask you to examine your prayer life this morning. Examine, first of all, whether, 
whether prayer really has a part in your life, whether, whether you are seeking God or you're just making it up as you go along. Are you seeking the blessing of God or have you really given up hope that things will change? Do you pray like your hope is really in God or are you more, God helps those who help themselves. I think I'll just do something more practical. Are you seeking God for the world's blessing? Are you seeking God for Abraham's blessing? Not just about give me more stuff, but bless me that I can be a blessing. Bless me that I can bless others. Make me a channel of your grace in this world. Are there areas in your life where you know that you have given ground to Satan, but you have stopped believing that God can help you take back your possession? Have you just stopped praying about those areas? Maybe, maybe there's, there's this obstacle of sin, and it's just not on the radar for you anymore. You've just given up. We're invited to take hold of that, to deal with that, but to deal, deal with it with God's power. Do you pray about Satan's darts, Satan's attacks? Because if you don't, what often happens is we just think that, wow, God must be kicking me while I'm down. God must just be trying to beat me up and, and piling on when the circumstances of my life just seem so hard. We pray about the attacks. We, we recognize we're in a battle. We ask God for his help and his protection. We need to pray Jabez's prayer for ourselves. But if you were here earlier in the series when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, you know that there is no me in the prayer of a follower of Christ. We pray about we. I pray about, I pray about myself, but I got to pray for the people around me. We need to pray this prayer for ourselves and the people that we know, but we also need to pray this prayer for our church. Because... For, for too long, it's been too easy for us to live on subsistence, subsistence rations of God's blessing and of his inheritance. Surely God wants us to make more of an impact on our world, more of an impact on our community. Surely he wants more transformation in our midst for his word to have more of an impact in how we respond to him and how we glorify him. But we need to lay hold of that possession in prayer. We believe him for it. We seek him for it. Let's do that. Let's seek God for it. Believe in his blessing. And believe what he can do in our lives as we give ourselves to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have all been hit by the curse of sin. We've been born in pain and we've caused pain and We've been reminded of that pain. But we believe in your blessing. Bless our lives. Bless our church. Fulfill your purposes for us. Father, would you enlarge our borders? We want to lay hold of our full spiritual inheritance. And for too long, we've just let Satan have what he wants. Forgive us for settling for second best. And help us to take back 
areas of our lives that we've given over to the enemy. And may your hand be with us in power. Keep us from harm. Protect us from the enemy's fiery darts. Protect our children, our marriages, our integrity, and our witness. For we ask you in Jesus' name.